week number seven of the video programs during our time of social distancing. My name is Mike Elstock. I'm pastor of Community Baptist Church. We meet here in this facility, typically under normal circumstances, uh, each Sunday and Wednesday and several times uh, during the year for special events. But as you know, we're all meeting by way of media presentations because of the virus, COVID-19. Uh, we're praying about how to get back to normal public services. The leaders of our church are talking and praying and seeking God's direction. And so well, I would invite you to pray with us that God will give us wisdom. Pray for our leaders here in our country as well as we figure out how to get our country back uh, rolling in normal times. Uh, and so we appreciate your prayers uh, for all of us as we go through this situation. Hey, something else you could do to help us, uh, if you're watching our programming today on our YouTube, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to our channel? And if you're on Facebook, why don't you go ahead and like our church, church Facebook page and um, maybe even click share so that uh, other people will be able to be aware of the meeting or even start a watch party so that others can join in with us today. Uh, today our theme is joy. And we're going to be considering the theme of joy throughout our ministry programs this week. This morning, I'm going to be focusing on Nehemiah chapter 8. And the message is titled, When Joy is Our Strength. And then this evening, we have missionary Brian Wise, who's going to be joining me to discuss joy during difficult times. Brian and Sandy Wise left the uh, living the American dream here in northern Virginia and went to a third world country of Nicaragua, a country that has experienced a lot of turmoil over the last few years. Uh, if anybody understands the correlation between joy and difficulty, it'll be Brian and Sandy Wise. And so Brian will be talking with me about that this evening at 6 o'clock. We invite you to come back for that evening program. This week, we're going to be bringing some special devotions through the week, some daily devotions along the theme of rejoicing, and we're going to be focusing on Psalm uh, 33 during those special devotion times. Uh, we can expect for those devotions to be on our church Facebook page each morning at around 7.30, Then they'll be available whenever you would like to watch them, and uh, we invite you to come and join us as we consider the theme of rejoicing. Joy is going to dominate everything this week through the ministry here at CBC, and we're glad you're here tuned into the morning program. One of our core families here at Community Baptist is the Simpson family, Jonathan and Ann Simpson, and Ann is going to sing a song. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. It's titled, Still My Soul, Be Still.
My soul be still, do not be moved by lesser lights and fleeting shadows. Hold on to His ways with shield of faith against temptation's flaming arrows. Thank you, Anne, for that special in song. You know, music has a way of stilling the anxious soul. There's a passage of scripture that deals with David over in 1 Samuel and the 16th chapter that speaks of David with regards to the music that saturated his life. I'm reading from second from 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verse number 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul was the king of Israel. And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from the Lord troubleth thee. Let our Lord command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. Well, Saul took the advice that was given to him, and they found David. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. And he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. 
So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Well, sin and guilt and an evil conscience robs the soul of joy and strength. And and the solution was David playing the harp. I can imagine David uh, coming when Saul was troubled, that Saul was anxious. He had a guilty conscience, an evil spirit. And and David came and, and played the harp and sang to Saul. I, I wonder what David played. You know, David was one of the most widely known hymn writers in Israel. Probably coming from all of the hours that he spent in solitary places, standing watch over his father's sheep in the country, and focusing on God and God's word that he had learned growing up. And and it was in those solitary times that uh, many of the hymns and the meditations from that uh, we read in our Bible that came from David uh, came into being. And I can imagine that perhaps when David was called to play uh, his harp there with Saul that that David sang and played some of what became the book of Psalms in our Bible. You know, there's a connection between a troubled conscience, guilt over sin, and the Word of God sung to beautiful music. There's a connection between all of that and the joy and the strength of our lives. Well, I want to think about joy and the strength that joy is to us in our lives. And I want to transition over to an Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, a, a man that uh, led in the third uh, group of Jewish people coming back to Israel, back to Jerusalem from their captivity in Babylon and then Medo-Persia as the Persians overtook the Babylonians. And the, the king of Persia allowed the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their city, rebuild their temple. And so there were three groups that went back over a number of years. Uh, Zerubbabel led a group back. Ezra led a group back. And then Nehemiah led a group back. And Nehemiah went back for the purpose of building the wall around the city that had been constructed by the earlier groups so as to provide protection and safety and security for the people that had come back to the land of Israel to rebirth the nation and rebuild the nation and the city of Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah was an important person coming back to rebuild the strength of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, now, Ezra, who had come before him, had been uh, there for 13 years now. Ezra came back and began to minister to the people. And for 13 years, he was a preacher, and he preached the Word of God, and he taught the Word of God to the people that had come back to rebuild Jerusalem. And, uh, and so Ezra has been laboring faithfully for many, many years. And his uh, teaching for 13 years had prepared the way for the work that, uh, that Nehemiah would do as Nehemiah came back. And so then Nehemiah came back uh, with the determination and the decree from 
the, uh, the Persian king to rebuild the wall around this city. And that brought a lot of excitement because the people of Israel uh, lacked security and, and the strength that security brings. And so they were excited. There was a wind of excitement in the air. Something's happening. After all of these years, they're finally building the wall around this city of Jerusalem. But something else also happened with Nehemiah's rebuilding of the wall and Ezra's teaching of the people, there came a, a new appreciation for the character of God and what God required of the people. And so in Nehemiah chapters 1 through 7, we have Nehemiah coming back and building the wall and the people becoming more aware of what God requires of them. And that brought a seriousness to their minds about what it means to serve a holy God. And so chapter 7 uh, kind of ends with a, a description, a story, if you will, of the seriousness with which the people began to recognize uh, what God required of them. Now chapter 8 opens up, and chapter 8 is the chapter that records the story that we're interested in this morning. It's a chapter that... Uh, that uh, speaks of revival, uh, a reviving of the spiritual life of the people of Israel there in Jerusalem. And when I read chapter 8 of Nehemiah, I find that there, there was a, a, a profound work of God that was done in the lives of the people, and that profound work that God did impacted people in three aspects of their person. And, and this ties in to the joy of our lives when God is at work in our lives and influencing these same three aspects of our person today. And so when we read Nehemiah chapter 8, we read of God impacting these three aspects of the people of Israel. And I want you to see these three. They're very interesting. The first one was the mind of the people. The people... As a result of all of the work that, Nehemiah, that Ezra had done for, uh, for all of these years, the people began to be hungry for the Word of God. They were excited that their wall was built. They were aware, they became aware that God is a serious God to be reckoned with. And we need to approach Him and the worship of His name and the service in His name with great seriousness to His character and the truths of His Word. And so the first thing that happened is the people, after the wall was built and Nehemiah had done his work, the people expressed a desire to know the Word of God in their minds. And so after 13 years of Ezra's work, Ezra comes back into the story of the book of Nehemiah as Nehemiah steps aside and Ezra takes center stage because the people are hungry for the truth of God's word. Their minds were impacted in such a way that they wanted to know the word of God. And so Nehemiah chapter 8 opens by telling us that all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. 
And so the people join together. There is a great sense of unity. The Bible says the people joined together. They gathered together as one man. There was a sense of unity. They, they all wanted to know the truth of God. They all wanted to understand what God had prescribed for his people so many generations earlier in the writings of the Pentateuch or the books of Moses. And so they wanted Ezra to bring forth the book of the law of Moses. And Ezra did that. And the Bible says that he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday. Before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. What a picture. Here we have the people, the men, the women, and all the children that were capable of understanding the Word of God, all joined together as one person in great unity, gathered there, and, uh, and Ezra, from morning to noonday, uh, for hours, Ezra read the Word of God. Now, that's the summary statement of what happened. But in the subsequent verses from verse 4 through 8, the Bible gets real detailed and tells us specifically what happened. They set up a pulpit, verse number 4 tells us, a pulpit of wood. They had an open Bible, verse 5 tells us. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And he was above all the people. He was elevated above them so they all had eye contact. So the pulpit of wood... An open Bible, elevated so that everyone had eye contact with the preacher as the preacher spoke to them the Word of God. We have reference here to prayer. Verse number 6 tells us that Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen! Amen! They lifted up their hands, they bowed their heads, they worshipped God with their faces to the ground. And so we have a pulpit of wood. We have an open Bible, elevated so that the people could make eye contact with the preacher. We have the preacher leading in prayer and everyone agreeing with what they were hearing, saying, Amen. And they were, they were lifting up their hands in honor and reverence toward God. They even fell on their faces to the ground and they prayed and they worshipped and they acknowledged the presence of God there in that place. And then we have something else. We have the exposition of the Word of God. Verse number 7 tells us that they caused the people to understand the law. They didn't just read it. They enabled the people to understand what God meant when He inspired the writing of it. Verse 8 says, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. They read carefully. They read distinctly and gave the sense. They explained what it meant and caused them to understand the reading. And so here we have a pulpit of wood, an open Bible, elevated so that everyone could see. We have the leader praising God and honoring God and the people agreeing with everything that was going on, saying, Amen, so be it, we agree, we're in this together with great unity. 
and the people lifting up their hands in honor and reverence to God and falling on their faces before God, worshiping Him, praying to Him. And then hour after hour, the preacher read and explained, enabled people to understand what God meant so that they understood the Word of God that was read. This is expository preaching of the Word of God. Expository means that the preaching is explaining the text that was read. And so we have the exposition of the Word of God so the people could understand. What I want you to notice is that the first aspect of our lives that need to come into play when God is doing a mighty work is the mind. We must understand the Word of God. Now, there are two problems that come in that hinder our understanding of the Word of God. And the New Testament addresses both of those problems. The Apostle Paul, in his, uh, in his older age, at the end of his ministry, wrote to a younger pastor, a man that he had mentored by the name of Timothy, and Paul addressed both problems to Timothy. He said, Timothy, one problem is that preachers are not going to preach the Word of God. They're going to preach made-up stories. They're going to preach made-up sermons. And they're not going to preach, thus saith the Lord. And so, Timothy, what I'm telling you is you need to preach the Word. And he went on to explain that the time would come when there would be preachers who would want to tell people what the people wanted to hear rather than tell people what God said. The first problem is when preachers are willing to tell people what they want to hear rather than telling people what God says. We learned from Nehemiah's experience that the job of the preacher was to read and explain the Word of God so that people would understand what God said in His Word. Now, the second problem feeds on the first problem. The second problem is when people don't want to hear the Word of God. The Apostle Paul told Timothy that the time would come when people would not want to hear the Word of God. They would have ears that would itch, and they would want a teacher to tickle their ears or to scratch their ears and give them what they want to hear. And the second problem is when the people don't want the Word of God because it is convicting. The Word of God deals with their sin. And so when people don't want the Word of God, and when there are preachers available to tell people what they want to hear, then you've got the two problems. People who don't want to hear and preachers who don't want to preach the Word of God. Of course, the solution is a mighty work of God in the hearts of people so that they will want to hear. They'll have minds that will say, teach me the Word of God. I want to know the Word of God, coupled with preachers who are willing to preach what God says. As Paul told Timothy in that reference in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he told Timothy to preach the Word. Be instant. In other words, be on be, be always ready. Uh, be on guard. Be, be ready to go. Ready to roll. Uh, be instant. In season 
and out of season. Be ready to preach the word of God when it's popular, but be ready to preach the word of God when it's not popular, when it's out of season. Timothy, be ready to preach the word of God in season and out of season. What are you going to preach? Well, you're going to reprove, you're going to rebuke, and you're going to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. In other words, you're going you're to preach what God says, regardless of whether the message is positive or negative. There are times when you're going to need to reprove people for wrong, rebuke people for sin. And you're going to need to be able to work with them, reprove, rebuke, and encourage them, exhort them to right behavior. And you've got to be long-suffering in this, because sometimes people don't get it the first time around. And you've got to be long-suffering with people and be willing to preach the same truths over and over again in order to be able to bring to people the truth of the Word of God so that they can be impacted in their minds where they need to understand the Word of God. And so in Nehemiah's situation, Ezra was the preacher and the ones that were working with Ezra that are named in this chapter, and they had a pulpit of wood and an open Bible, elevated so they could be seen, and they were praising and honoring God, reading the Scripture, and giving an exposition of the Scripture so people could understand what God's Word says. Now, that's a great picture of God working in the minds of people so that they will understand the Word of God. But that's not the end of God working in the various aspects of man. God wants us to understand his truth. He wants to speak to our minds so that we'll understand the truth of the word of God. But there's another aspect to man, and that is our emotions. And in our passage here, the emotions are all over the place. The emotions go from excited anticipation to guilt-ridden shame to to uh, jubilant, joyous exaltation. I mean, it's all over the map. It starts with a great anticipation. In verse number 5, the, the verse ends by saying the people stood up. They began to say, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, bowing their heads and worshiping God, falling on their faces before God. There was an anticipation that when the Word of God is read and when the Word of God is explained to them, there's going to be some great things that are going to come out of that. So their emotions were stirred and they were anticipating the power of God being made manifest to them. And that was an exciting thing for them. But then... With the reading and explaining of the Word of God came some guilt, some, some uh, uh, remorse for things they had done and perhaps were doing. In verse number 9, in the middle of the verse, the Bible says that, that uh, after they taught the people, they, they said, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, these people who were so anticipating the message from the Word of God ended up hearing messages, hearing read from the Word of God, 
chapters and verses that that caused them to realize that they had fallen so short of what God expected out of his people. And so their anticipation turned to guilt. Their, their lifting up their hands in praise turned to weeping because of the guilt for their sins. Now, the leaders knew that this was a special day in which they needed to turn from their sin and they needed to experience forgiveness and joy and restoration from God. And so the people told them in verse number 9 to mourn not nor weep. They said this is a special day, holy to the Lord. And they, the leaders gave the people instruction to prepare food and, and come together and rejoice and and celebrate that God is doing something. I'm telling you, after 13 years of Ezra preaching and teaching the Word of God, Nehemiah comes, and in 52 days, they build the wall around the city. They have security. They have strength. They want to know more about God. And the ministry of the Word of God has brought them to brokenness in their spirit. They want to be right with God. They want to walk with God. And so their emotions are in play as God does this mighty work. And their emotions turned from anticipation to guilt and weeping and back to joy and excitement. The Bible tells us in verse number 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it was their excitement about God, their for, the forgiveness they experienced, the restoration to the favor of God, the opportunity to have a, a new day in their lives as a result of all the work that had been done in their history leading up to Nehemiah building the wall, bringing security, and now the exposition of the Word of God that has brought them to the place where their emotions are filled with joy. And that joy is their strength. It's the joy that comes from interacting with the Word of God. It's the joy that comes when our interaction with the Word of God results in repentance and forgiveness and restoration. And joy becomes a strength to us as God works in our emotions to bring us to great emotional strength flowing out of the ministry of the Word of God to our souls. Well, it didn't end with that. Here we see that God first worked in the mind of the people by causing them to know the Word of God, to have it read, and to have the exposition of the Word of God so that they could understand it, which led to an emotion of guilt and weeping that turned to an emotion of joy in their forgiveness. And so God is at work. He has worked in their mind. He has worked in their emotions. But it doesn't end with that. We find that the result of all of that was that God worked in their will. Their will to do the right thing. Verse number 13 says that on the second day, Okay, this is the day after all these exciting things have happened in Nehemiah chapter 8. The next day, the Bible says, 
were gathered together, the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests, the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe. And so the second day, the, the chief men came together. The Bible calls them the chief of the fathers. The word father, we know, refers to our dads. Fathers, in the plural, refers to our dads and our granddads and our great-granddads. So here we have a gathering of the men. The gathering of the men includes the elderly men who have been around and have seen a lot over the course of their lives. They're gathered together with the spiritual leaders in Jerusalem, and they all go to Ezra. Verse number 13 ends by saying, even to understand the words of the law. Now, the book of the law is really five books in our Bibles. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of what we call the Old Testament in our Bibles. And so, that's a lot of scripture that, has, that they've been reading. They haven't read all of it the day before. They, they, they couldn't read all of it in that one day. And so this is, a, this is a, a, an ongoing process of wanting to understand more, wanting to learn more, wanting to hear the exposition of more and more of God's Word. So they come back the second day. Now, instead of all the men and the women and the kids, this seems to be a gathering of the men, particularly men uh, who are older and are, are focused on Wow, God is at work. God is doing some amazing things in our city of Jerusalem and in our families. So they come, and they want to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Now, what is this? This is what we call the Feast of Tabernacles. Israel, you remember, spent a long time in Egypt in slavery. And after they were in Egypt in slavery for generations, uh, God finally sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And so they left Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness between Egypt and the land that God had promised to their forefather Abraham and to all of his descendants through his son uh, Isaac. And so we have the people of God wandering for 40 years to go to the promised land that God had given to them. During those 40 years, they were wandering through a wilderness, living in tents. They're called booths in our Bible. Uh, think of a, a booth at a fair where you'd put up a makeshift booth uh, to house some event in a fair. Well, they would make these makeshift booths or tents, and they would live in them. They would take them down, carry them, set them up, live in them, take them down, carry them. And they did this for 40 years. So when Israel uh, ended all of that, God told them, I want you every year uh, at this particular time of year in the seventh month, I want you to have a special festival or festive time, and I want you to uh, have the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to collect some branches, and you're going to go out into your backyards, and you're going to build a makeshift lean-to tent 
kind of affair. And you're going to live in that uh, for a few days. And we're going to call it the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents. And so Israel was to do that every year to remember the 40 years that their forefathers had wandered through the wilderness. Now, the problem was that when they read the Word of God there in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, they came to realize we haven't been doing that. We've been disobeying God. We've not been doing what God told us to do for all of these years. We've never had the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't even remember knowing about it. But as the Word of God was read, and as the Word of God was explained to them, they came upon that part of the law, and they realized we've not been doing right. So verse 16 says, So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one of them, upon the roof of his house. They had flat-roofed houses on the roofs of their house, or uh, and in their courts. They often had homes that were built around a courtyard, uh, or on the street, uh, in, in the courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the street of the water gate, and in the street of the gate called Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was great, and there, uh, and there was great, very great gladness. I mean, notice the joy. Why? Because they're obeying God with their will. They learned something in the Word of God that they hadn't been doing. They said, we're going to start doing this today. We're going to start doing this right now. You see, God is at work when our will says, if God says it, I'm going to do it. And our will acts quickly to do what God tells us to do. And that's what happened. As soon as they found out, they were in the very week that they were supposed to be observing the Feast of Tabernacles. So they immediately said, hey, if God wants us to go camping, we're going camping. And they immediately went out, gathered the palm leaves, the branches, the sticks, the whatever, and they made themselves makeshift, lean-tos, booths, tabernacles, tents, whatever you want to call it. They went camping. And they set it up on their rooftop of their house or out in their backyard or in their courtyard or out on the street and all of the families of Jerusalem set up these makeshift little homes and they slept in them at night and they remembered their heritage. They remembered their history. They remembered what their forefathers endured for 40 years. So that they could have the land of promise and be able to live there. And as soon as they began to obey God, as soon as their will said, we'll do what God told us to do, the Bible says there was very great gladness in their lives. The chapter ends by saying, also, day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. 
And so for that week, they observed the Feast of Tabernacles. So what do I learn? I learn that God does a great work when he begins to impact my mind. When I become hungry to know the Word of God, I want to read it. I want to meditate on it. I want to study it. I want to understand it. My mind wants the Word of God. I hunger to know and understand the Word of God. Knowing and understanding the Word of God then impacts my emotions. And God begins to work in my emotions. Sometimes I'm excited about... about Something, But then I read something that I realize, man, I am so far out of the will of God that it breaks my heart and my emotions become troubled. I might even weep because I'm doing wrong. But then I can ask God to forgive me and I can be restored. And then there's great joy in my emotions. God is at work because I feel the way I feel, not because of the circumstances around me, but I feel the way I feel because of my interaction with God in His Word. The power of the Word of God in my emotional being. But all of that leads me to have to act. And my will comes into play. And I immediately respond by wanting to do the right thing. When I want to do the right thing, and I do the right thing, then there is great gladness, very great gladness as a result, this is the source of our strength. Nehemiah 8 tells us it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And this is what makes us strong people. When God is at work in our minds, when God is at work in our emotions, and when God is at work in our spirit, in our will, to will to do what the Spirit of God shows us in the Word of God that we need to be doing. This is the prescription for revival. God at work in my mind, my emotions and my will, strengthening me, making me a strong person through whom God can work to accomplish His will, my family, my church, and my country, my community. This is the prescription for revival. And it all goes back not to the circumstances around me, but it goes back to the Word of God and my relationship to God through His Word. Let me end today by reading the words of a song. That's, the title of it is a question. Do you really want revival? Do you really want to be this kind of a strong person whose mind, emotions, and will are held captive by the Word of God, bringing you joy and very great gladness that causes you to be a strong person. Do you really want that in your life? The hymn writer wrote it this way. Do you really want revival? Do you really want God's power? Do you really want His Spirit to control your life this hour? Oh, repent and turn to Jesus. Seek His face and humbly pray. Do you really want revival? Are you willing to obey? Are you praying for revival? Are you praying for God's power? Are you praying for His Spirit to control your life this hour? Oh, the Lord is ever faithful. He will hear us when we pray. 
Are you praying for revival? Are you willing to obey? Yes, I really want revival. Yes, I really want God's power. And I really want His Spirit to control my life this hour. Oh, I'm looking now to Jesus. I will seek His face and pray. For I really want revival. I am willing to obey. Ah, the source of strength is our joy. And our joy erupts out of our relationship with God that is formulated through our interaction with the Word of God. The Word of God, your relationship with God, your, your joy bringing you great strength is all tied together. And none of it depends on your circumstances or what's going on in the world around you. It all comes back to the Word of God, bringing you joy, making you a strong person in this world. Don't forget that this evening at 6 o'clock, missionary Brian Wise will be joining me to speak about joy in difficult times. And uh, you're going to enjoy what Brian has to share with us this evening, I'm sure. Daily devotions this week are going to follow this theme of joy, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 33. Uh, those devotions will appear on our Facebook page, Community Baptist Church's Facebook page. We invite you to come uh, each morning and enjoy a time of devotions from Psalm 33. Hey, I'm heading over to the Simpsons' home. Jonathan and Ann Simpson have been welcoming the church family over to their house every Sunday afternoon at the end of our service to be able to enjoy some songs. And so I'm going to head over there now and invite you to come with us. As soon as this uh, live stream ends, uh, then just wait for a couple of moments. If you're on YouTube, jump over to the church's Facebook page, and you'll be able to pick up the, uh, the live feed from the Simpsons' home, and we'll sing some songs. If you have a favorite, they always are excited to get favorites texted into them. So you can do that on Facebook and let them know something that they could sing that would be a blessing to you. So let's go over to the Simpsons' home and enjoy some singing. Thanks for being with us today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for part of a Sunday service at Community Baptist Church. I hope to meet you soon. May God impress His love upon your heart this week.